You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great chapter, Father. It's uh, in so many ways the most sinister of chapters. Uh, Father, it's a scary chapter as we've studied it. And Father, we've been over it many, many times. But Father, your grace is so, uh, is so wonderful. Father, even in the midst of the worst news, the news of the fall of humanity, uh, there's your gospel and there's the word of grace. So, Father, we pray that you would instruct us this morning and teach us as we study, as we continue to study uh, these passages that you have given us, Father, for our instruction and for our good, uh, for our our walk with you, for our salvation, for our conversion, uh, for so many good purposes. And, Father, we want all of them. We want all of these blessings. We want to mine everything we can out of these verses. So, Father, we pray that, Lord, you would enable us to do just that. Uh, We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. This morning we come to the fifth message in our series on Genesis, and that's kind of hard to believe, isn't it? I mean, it's been five five weeks. It's the fifth week. And, you know, when I wrote those words down, I thought, okay, five weeks from now we're going to be kind of out of the woods with this winter stuff, aren't we? It's going to be kind of nice, you know. Uh, but then my mind, the way it works, I start thinking about that lawnmower, you know. <laughs> Not that I really mind that. You know, the lawnmowers, it is what it is, isn't it? Um, uh, it always looks nice when it's done. It's just hard to find the time to do it. Um, but uh, nevertheless, I love spring. I think spring is, is wonderful. And five weeks from now, I mean, uh, we're going to be really at, at, the, at the genesis, if you will, of spring. Um, now, some of you recall that at the beginning, five weeks ago, I pointed your attention to the name or to the meaning of the of the word Genesis, and um, I made mention that it means origin or source or beginning. But there's a word that I've really found favor with that I've wanted to share through all this, and that's the word foundation. Uh, it is so Genesis is so foundational, isn't it? And these verses that we've been studying, I mean, they're, they're kind of the bedrock of it all. They're, they're so foundational. And I think that uh, you'll agree with me that it's amazing how God's word pierces to our, our very hearts. I mean, it truly is sharper than a two-edged sword. It, it really is able to, to uh, divide our, our souls, uh, to divide our spirit, if you will. And I'm using spirit and soul synonymously there, uh, just quoting from Hebrews, you know, it's the word of God is able to uh, discern the thoughts and intentions of our, of our hearts in such a marvelous way. And it's here we find our deepest needs met. I mean, we truly do. And this morning's text is no different. And in fact, this morning, uh, what I really want to show is what we, what we really see here this morning is the very heart of God in, in this verse. We truly do see uh, the very heart of God. And uh, we didn't read the context, but let me let me review the context now. Uh, the Lord has been deeply offended by Adam and Eve's rebellion, hasn't he? Uh, deeply offended. And if we think about it, I mean, his character has been defamed. Uh, 
his integrity has been questioned and doubted. His covenant has been broken. His law has been trampled upon. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, we see, as we've studied, there's been terrible consequences for this. God's justice absolutely demands this. And as I wanted to remind, as I talk this way, let's not get the impression that God is some kind of ogre uh, who wants to, uh, you know, tear us down because we've, over the slightest infraction of his law, that God is nothing like that at all. Uh, it's just that his justice requires um, punishment for sin. That's just what it requires. There's a spiritual law that can't be altered, and it, it goes like this. The wages of sin is death. And um, But what's really amazing is when we study the story we, amazingly enough, do not find utter condemnation, do we? Uh, we don't find that. Amazingly enough, we find a loving and caring God. And in fact, uh, what we find is a God who cares. And, I, you know, in reflecting on that earlier this week, that phrase kind of stuck with me. You know, what we find in Genesis 3 and verse 21 is a God who cares. I thought, boy, that would be a nice title for a a message, and I happen to need a message for Sunday, so I thought maybe that would be a good title to go with. Uh, a God Who Cares. That sounds good. I, um, a God Who Cares. I'm going to put a subtitle to that here in a few minutes. But here we see a God who cares. I mean, uh, and let's tease that out a little bit. I mean, what, what could be better than a God who cares unless it be a God who has incomprehensible uh, power and authority? as God does, doesn't he? We can't even begin to comprehend the, the power and the authority that God has. I mean, just think about uh, being able to speak and all of this come into existence, the authority that's required in that. But not only is he powerful in this incomprehensible way, but he cares. Uh, and not only is he powerful and caring, but he's also holy. And that's so very important to us because God cannot even he cannot entertain an impure thought. Uh, he simply can't. And if you're in Christ this morning, he, he'll never think of anything but what is ultimately for his glory and for our good. Uh, it's just amazing, isn't it? And of course, he is perfect in justice. And that means that there, there really is nothing that's going on that won't be met with punishment. Either Jesus will take the punishment in the sinner's place or the sinner will take the punishment uh, for all eternity. Either way, God's justice is going to be met. Um, he, is, he is perfect in justice. Now, as we think about powerful people, you know, we could go down through the corridors of history and name lots of powerful people, but many of them were tyrants. Uh, many of them were uh, unjust. Many of them were untrustworthy. But the Lord is more powerful than any person could ever be, yet He's caring. He's caring. Uh, he's perfectly righteous. He's perfectly just. He's perfectly holy. And I might add and emphasize, he is a God who cares. Now, in our text this morning, we're going to see that God cares for our every need. He cares for us emotionally. He cares for us physically. And he cares for us spiritually. And there's our outline. Um, although I will say that this morning, our outline is going to be quite a bit lopsided 
because this morning I really want to focus on the emotional aspect. Uh, I don't uh, want to do it at the expense of the physical aspect or the spiritual aspects. Uh, I'll mention those kind of briefly at the end, not that they're not that not, not not to diminish their importance. They're equally important. I want us to see from verse 21 that all three things are going on. But this morning, I really want to focus on the emotional needs that we have. So with all of that having said, let's let's get started. Yes, we read this narrative. It's easy to forget an important point. So let's let's look at it. I mean, immediately following Adam and Eve's rebellion, if you look at verse seven with me, verse seven tells us that the eyes of both Adam and Eve were opened. You see that in verse seven and that they knew what? They knew they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So what we see here, the immediate effect of rebelling against God is resulting in shame. Um, In fact, it's resulting in intense shame, not a little bit of shame, but intense shame. They hear God coming into the garden. They hide. God calls out to Adam. If you look at verse 10, how's Adam respond to God's call? He says, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Uh, There's intense shame being verbalized there. In verse 11, God questions Adam. Verse 12, Adam responds to God's question. Verse 13, God speaks to the woman and she responds. Verse 14, God condemns Satan. He condemns him. Uh, There's the condemnation that takes place. In verse 15, God proclaims the first gospel utterance, which our our study began there, didn't it? We spent a whole morning on on what we call the proto-gospel or the first gospel utterance. It's right there. Uh, no, No sooner does all humanity plunge into death and darkness, and then there's the gospel, verse 15. The gospel is always nearby, and the worst of news in Scripture. In verse 16, God speaks of the consequences of the rebellion as it will affect women. We spent a Sunday on that. Um, There there are things that that, that affect women, and particularly moms, and we focused on that. In verses 17 and 19, we turned our our focus to how the rebellion and consequences of the rebellion will affect men, and uh, we saw that there there certainly is overlap there uh, from men to women, uh, but we spent a morning on that. And the end of verse 19 speaks to all, to dust we shall return, Uh, to dust we shall return. And then last week we were in verse 20 and we looked at the, you know, we looked at how Adam is proclaiming faith in the garden. And uh, I'll I'll leave you to, if you if you want to hear any of these messages, they're online and I'll I'll leave you to that um, if you missed any of them. Now, with all of this going on, and this takes us to verse 21. And with all of this going on, it's really easy to lose focus of one important point. And that important point is through all of this, Adam and Eve are still standing in those fig leaves. You remember the fig leaves back in verse 7? They're they're still standing in them. And I, um, I can't imagine what that experience was like to be standing before the Lord Most High wearing these silly fig leaves. Um, That's to say that Adam and Eve are experiencing intense emotional pain. 
And we call that pain shame, don't we? Shame. Shame is one of those words you don't hear in church very much. And this is not good because we all experience this terrible emotion. There isn't a person in this room that hasn't experienced it. Some of us experience it more than others. But we've all had our turn, haven't we? And shame, it's, it, it's you know, it, it's painful. It cuts down into the soul of a person. It's as sharp as a razor, but the mess that it leaves in us is more like the mess that a chainsaw would leave behind. Uh, it's, it's terribly painful. Shame is a feeling of worthlessness. Shame is looking around the room and saying, you know something, I don't measure up. Shame is uh, the result of being called names. Shame is the result of being violated. Shame is also the result of violating others. So what do we do when we're feeling shame? What do we do when we're ministering to someone who is feeling shame? Well, let me start the conversation by saying we point to the God who cares. We point to the God who cares. Now, people can hear that and receive absolutely no comfort for that whatsoever. Uh, so we have to go further than that. Um, and our verse takes us there. Um, it takes us there very powerfully. Um, Look at our verse this morning. Adam and Eve, they're standing before the Lord Most High, wearing these fig leaves, full of shame. Shame is cutting their hearts to the very center. Look at verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Um, we might start by looking at what God doesn't do. Uh, God doesn't make fun of them. He doesn't make sport of them. He doesn't exploit them. And that's because he is holy. You know, I think, I think it's hard for us sometimes to get this holy part, the justice part. You know, okay, look, God is, God is good. God is loving because he's perfectly just. Okay, we get that. I think it's easier for us to see. Because if he was unjust in any way, he'd be corrupt and corruption hurts people. We get that. But I think it's harder for us to grasp the importance of his holiness. So I call your attention to it right here because this is a place where the rubber of his holiness really hits the road. He doesn't make fun of them like an unholy God would. I say, look at you. Aren't you silly? Don't you look silly in this? Hey, come here, look at this. It's what the world would do, isn't it? Oh, you guys got to see this. It would be on Facebook. Everybody would be gawking at it laughing and that's what an unholy God would do but in verse 21 we see a God who cares and what does he do he clothes them the offended God clothes them it's beautiful isn't it he clothes them he personally clothes them he doesn't order an angel hey come here those two would you do something with them clothe them with something I can't look at them. It's not what he does. He personally clothes them. But for those who are in Christ Jesus, the Lord does more than just cover our shame. He does more than that. And I want to show you that. And to see that, uh, let's turn to, keep your place in Genesis. And let's turn to uh, Luke chapter 7. Luke 7. There's a story in Luke 7 that's always been uh, very special to me for many reasons I won't go into, but um, I've often reflected on this story that we have in Luke 7. 
starts in verse 36, page 864. One of the Pharisees invites Jesus to his house for a meal. And verse 37 tells us that a woman of the city, if you found your place there, you'll see that phrase in Luke chapter 7, page 864, verse 37. A woman of the city. I don't want to get too detailed here because we don't have time to go into another passage, but um, a woman of the city is how she's described, who was a sinner. She learned that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house and brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Verse 38, standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. I've often reflected on on this, um, this beautiful gesture that this woman performs uh, for Jesus. And I've often reflected on what it would have been like for this woman to go into this house. You know, she's a woman of the city. You know, she's a woman from the other side of the tracks. Uh, going into a home of really religious people. And uh, I can't help but to think that she felt like she didn't measure up. Uh, the Pharisee who invited Jesus into his home, we know that he thought to himself, verse 39, that if Jesus were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. Now, here, God's word tells us what the inner attitude of this man was like. We don't have to guess or conjecture. Um, God's word tells us, and I mean, listen, I think every one of us knows when we're in an environment where we don't measure up, don't we? We've all had that experience, haven't we? I just don't feel like I measure up in here, you know? We know when we're in company of those who just don't think we're up to, up to snuff. That's a terrible feeling, isn't it? It's a terrible emotion. But this woman, she endures it because she's got to get to Jesus. Jesus is the object of her love. He's got to get to Jesus, so she endures it. And um, notice what Jesus does. Jesus says, Simon, who's Simon? Simon's the Pharisee who invited Jesus to his house. It's Simon's house that Jesus is in. Jesus says, Simon, do you see this woman? Now, Jesus is reading Simon's thoughts. He says, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Verse 45, you gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. Verse 46, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. There's so much to this powerful story, more than we should go into this morning. My point is that this woman endures this shame. Uh, this woman is experiencing shame, and Jesus removes the shame. How do I know he removes the shame? Verse 48 tells us, your sins are forgiven. That removes the shame. Uh, the, the, this sin debt that you have is going to be paid. And when Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven, he does so at a tremendous personal cost, doesn't he? How are they going to get forgiven? Is God just going to like forget about them? 
Now, we covered that in the introduction. God's just. He can't just do that. When Jesus says, okay, this shame that you're experiencing, it's, it's pardoned. The only way that he can do that is to take the shame upon himself. Which is what he is there to do. And there we see the God who cares, don't we? We see the God who cares. But there's something else I want you to see here. Not only does God, not only does Jesus, God in the flesh, take away her shame, but he honors her. He honors her. She's being scorned by Simon and his company. She's thought like she doesn't measure up. You know, that feeling of not measuring up. She's experiencing this shame. She's thought of in such ill light by the present company, but their opinions of her do not matter. We can, we can say that to ourselves. We know their opinions don't matter. We know it still hurts, doesn't it? Because, you know, it does matter, you know? Uh, but in an ultimate sense, the opinions of these, of these people don't really matter because the, the sovereign creator of the universe, the one to whom we must all give account to, has said her sins are forgiven. Her sins are forgiven. And he goes a step further. He stands up in her corner and he vindicates her to the present company, doesn't he? Simon, you're thinking these ill thoughts about this woman who's doing this act for me. I want to tell you something, Simon. Her sins are forgiven. She hasn't stopped showing adoration to me since she got here. I'm telling you, her sins are forgiven. What I want us to see this morning is that Jesus doesn't just take away the shame. He actually transforms it into honor. They're the very opposite. We could see this again if you turn to Matthew. Another example real quick. I won't take long with this example. There's many others, but if we go to Matthew chapter 1, you know, the genealogy that you're tempted to skip, you know, all these names, how do you pronounce them? Genealogy of Jesus. The genealogy is actually quite important. I'm going to show you one example why this morning. Matthew begins his gospel with the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon. Now look at verse 5. And Salmon the father of Boaz. Okay, Boaz is the kinsman redeemer in the book of Ruth. If you read the book of Ruth, you'll read about Boaz. Salmon, the father of Boaz, by who? By Rahab. By Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. Now, backpedaling, who is Rahab? Anybody read Joshua? You'll recognize that Rahab was a prostitute. Rahab was a prostitute. But she turned to the Lord in faith. And the Lord took away the shame of that vocation. And he turned it into such great honor that she would be listed in the genealogy 
of Jesus Christ. The author to the letter of Hebrews writes in the great, what we call the hall of fame of faith, if you will. In Hebrews 11, verse 31, by faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So we see that, that God is not just in the business of taking shame away, but he's in the business of transforming this shame uh, in, into honor. Isn't that incredible? It's absolutely incredible. And what is the application of this to us? Well, it's the same. It's the same. The shame that we may have over the, uh, our past or the shame that we might have experience in any of its, any way that it might manifest itself in our lives. Well, well, Jesus has come to take it away. If your faith is in Christ, if you're trusting in Jesus in a, with a saving faith, well, he's, he's taken that shame away and he's replacing it with honor. And you might say, well, okay, I see. He takes the shame away at the cross. How does he replace it with honor? Well, you're allowed to call yourself a Christian. Do you realize the honor in that? Of being able to call yourself a Christian? Or how about this? You're able to call yourself a daughter of God. Or you're able to call yourself a son of God. You know, Prince William and Prince Harry are constantly in the news. In fact, I don't, I don't go through checkout counters very often, but those two guys are always in the checkout aisle. You ever notice that? I mean, every time I go there, that's where they, I think that's where they hang out, you know, is in the checkout aisle. Yeah, Prince William, Prince Harry, Prince William, Prince Harry. Now, why is that? I'm, I, you know, I'm not poking fun. We, we have people that listen to these messages everywhere. I don't want to offend anybody, but um, they're royalty. That's why they're in the news all the time, because they're royalty. That's why people are always following them around, trying to get a news story. Well, if you're a son of God or a daughter of God, you're royalty. Do you realize that? It's easy to forget that, isn't it? You're, a, you're the son or daughter of a king. Think of the honor of that. Um, in a very short period of time, we will go through the doorway of death into the next life. And we will go into this royalty that's incomprehensible. It's absolutely incomprehensible and our shame will be turned into honor, uh, great honor. Let me say a couple of words here in closing in regards to physical needs. And we're talking about emotional needs and that's really the burden of this morning. In fact, I promised you a subtitle. A God Who Cares is the title of the message, subtitle, Turning Shame into Honor. That's the subtitle. That's the real focus that I wanted to bring to you, but... That having been said, God provides for our physical needs too. I mean, it's widely believed that God only cares about spiritual matters. Has anybody ever heard someone say that? Where, you know, God, he cares about the spiritual stuff, but he, you know, the material stuff's up to us. Has anyone ever heard someone say that? I've heard that one. Uh, you know, I've, I've heard that. 
I, I will tell you that every time I've heard that, I, I think every time I've heard that, it's just been blatant unbelief. You know, it's just been blatant uh, unbelief. Um, people, you know, we can talk about spiritual matters and it doesn't really cost us anything, you know. I mean, we can talk, we can take up spiritual talks and we can have spiritual talks and we can sound, you know, a certain way and it doesn't cost anything. But when you lose your job, that's a different story. When you're taking a significant pay cut, that's a different story. Um, what happens when we lose the paycheck? Well, the question is presented to us, do we trust that God will take care of us or not? That's really where the rubber faith hits the road. Is he really a God who provides? Is he really faithful? Will he really take care of me? And a true believer can really be rattled in those situations, especially if it's his or her first rodeo. Um, that can be quite scary. Um, and oftentimes we'll panic. But our text here, you, you probably wouldn't think of Genesis 3.21 as a text uh, to help somebody with shame. And maybe you wouldn't think of Genesis 3.21 as a text to help somebody with provision. But look at verse 21 in chapter 3 of Genesis again with me. The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and he clothed them. You see there? He's providing, isn't he? You know, next week we're going to study that they're getting kicked out of the garden. I mean, they're getting thrown out of the garden. And there's going to be thorns and thistles where they're headed and they're going to need protection from those thorns and thistles. And God knows this. And God is providing for their needs really before they can even ask for the provision, isn't he? He's providing for them. I mean, I've, I think we get this. I mean, we hopefully we thank God for our meals before we eat. Uh, I think everyone understands that God provides for us. Um, but you discover how much you really believe in God's provision when you lose your paycheck or your job or a portion of your salary. You really discover um, how much you trust in those moments. And God will often take us through those seasons just to reveal this, not to be mean, but to strengthen us. And I say this to you because right now you might be working good and everything's going wonderful. But if the day comes where that isn't the case, um, You'll, you'll, you'll be able to say to yourself, okay, nothing strange is happening to me. This is, this is part of God's provision. Uh, he's going to teach me some things about my personal faith and trust in Him right now. And that's exactly what He's doing. Uh, Tammy and I can speak from personal experience. We've been there many times. We can also say that God provides. He provides. When it's your first time, it can be scary. Um, and He provides. One more point. God provides for our spiritual needs. And this one, um, we, we talk about this one all the time. Um, you know, when Adam and Eve rebelled, they died spiritually, didn't they? They, they? they died right then and there spiritually. They fled from God instead of running to Him. They were afraid. They were full of shame, etc., etc. And from our study in Romans, we discovered that all humanity plunged into darkness with them when they fell. And that's how we're born into this world. If you would turn one more time with me to Ephesians, if you'll just make one more turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. We've looked at these verses many times in the past. They'll serve us well to make this, uh, to make this point that I want to make. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Where Paul writes, and he's writing to the believers in Ephesus, 
and he's and to all believers this is the case with every believer you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind that's the last way we're going to think of ourselves as unbelievers as children of wrath but it is the testimony of Scripture. Verse 4, But God, being rich in his mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, look at the phrase that comes after that. He made us alive. He made us alive. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. The God who cares provides for us emotionally, he provides for us physically, and he provides for us spiritually. He makes us alive. Because prior to his making us alive, we were dead. And when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, we, we couldn't see these things. That's why when people talk to us about these things, our eyes would gloss over and we wouldn't know what they were talking about. And we would think they're probably fanatics or something. And let's just be polite and listen to them and hope that it's brief and they can go away soon. But then God makes us alive. He makes us alive and we want to hear everything they have to say. We want to hear it all. And we want to see where they're getting it from. And we want to read our Bibles and we want to pray and we want to spend time with the people of God. This major transformation takes place. Why is it taking place? Because we've been made alive in Christ Jesus. We've become a new, a new creation, Paul tells us. A new creation. God provides for us spiritually. Now we, he, we can hear spiritual matters. We can see the kingdom of God and we can see that we've now become part of the kingdom of God. And it's a wonderful thing. So in conclusion, there isn't anything that the, children, that the child of God will lack. God cares for us emotionally, physically, and spiritually. There isn't anything that the child of God will lack. You know, I think I hear the psalmist saying something like, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We shall want for nothing. We shall want for nothing. God doesn't make fun of Adam and Eve. He doesn't make sport of them. He doesn't exploit them. He cares for them. That's so different from the world. You know, the world will kick you when you're down. The world will make fun of you. The world will often enjoy watching a fall. But God cares. And it's this heart attitude that attracts sinners to him. It's this heart attitude that tra attracts us to him, isn't it? Here's a God who's powerful. Here's a God who's righteous. Here's a God who's just. Here's a God who cares. Here's a God who provides emotionally, physically, spiritually. The real burden that I have for my sermon this morning is how God turns our shame into honor. How He sh turns that shame. One of the worst emotional, uh, uh, some of the most painful uh, things that we can experience emotionally, God takes that and He turns that into honor. Let us praise Him. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you, Father, for this great work that you do. For who else could take shame and turn it into honor? And if you're able to do that, Father, we see that you can easily care for our physical needs and you care for our spiritual needs. Uh, Father, we thank you and we so praise you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.